This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Mark Coleman. Mark is a senior teacher at Spirit Rock Meditation Center and has been teaching Insight Meditation Retreats worldwide since 1997. He's the author of the book, Awake in the Wild, Mindfulness in Nature as a Path of Self-Discovery, and also the audio program, Poems from the Wild. As a founder of the Mindfulness Institute, Mark offers mindfulness consulting, coaching, and trainings in companies across the United States, as well as leading mindfulness teacher trainings in Europe and San Francisco. Mark Coleman will also be a featured presenter at the 2014 Wake Up Festival in Estes Park, Colorado. That festival takes place August 20th to the 24th, and for more information, you can visit wakeupfestival.com. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Mark and I spoke about some of the most important wisdom that he's gained from spending immersive retreats in nature. We also talked about how nature can be a mirror for our own deepest experiences. Mark shared with us a few of the initiation experiences he has had in nature. And finally, we explored how we might change and how our society might change if we paid more attention to our sensory experience of the natural world. Here's my conversation with Mark Coleman. Mark, if somebody wanted to have an experience of mindfulness in nature, how would you help them get started? No matter where they live, no matter where they might be listening to this, how would you direct them to have an experience, their first experience potentially, of practicing mindfulness in nature? Well, that's a great question. I think what I've found over the years is that no matter where someone lives, whether it's in the country, in the mountains, close to the ocean, in the city, in a dense neighborhood, nature is everywhere. And there's something very powerful that happens when we simply step outside of our houses, cars, offices, malls, and we have some contact with the elements. So a lot of my work focuses on taking people out into wilderness or into parks, places that are somewhat far away from the hubbub of city life. But what I found as I've both taught people who live in San Francisco or in other cities is that when we bring a contemplative attention to our experience and we go outside, when we bring a quality of 
receptivity of openness, sensitivity to our sensory experience, that we can have a, um, a rich contact with the natural world. So, for instance, people often ask me, you know, I work downtown in the city, I get home and I've got kids at home, and how do I experience what you're talking about in nature? And, and I'll often say, well, try when you have a lunch break, when you have a break, just going outside, walking around the block, and bringing awareness to your senses, bringing awareness to the elements that might be around. Normally we notice, rather than noticing space, we notice what's in the space. And so we notice the buildings and the cars and the people. But what we don't see is the space that's also affected by the wind and light and the season and possible sound of birds and uh, and the moisture, the temperature. And so there's a lot of ways we can start attuning to the natural world, even if we're, you know, as I said, in a suburb, downtown. And what happens when we shift our attention in that way, one, it requires that we get out of our heads, which means let go of our busy thinking mind and shift the attention to the physical sensory present. So what's happening with sounds, with the touch of the breeze on our skin, with um, the different patterns of shadow and light that we can see. Um, And so when we do that, what can start to happen is we can become aware or mindful of how the natural world is always impacting us, always having some kind of effect. So the simple act of going outside from your house or your office and looking up at the sky, suddenly we see a lot more space. There's a sense of spaciousness, which is why we love the mountains and the prairies. And that sense of spaciousness you know, has a profound effect on our being if we're mindful enough to let that in. So so the first practice is really bringing awareness to your body, bringing awareness to your senses, and noticing how the senses are affected. Obviously, the, the deeper we go into a natural setting, park, forest, wilderness area, then, of course, that impact on the senses is more profound. But... You know, as I found when I was writing my book, Awake in the Wild, um, it could be as simple as looking at a plant on your desk. Like right now, I'm looking at some succulents um, sitting on a desk next to me. And there's something, when I pay attention to the plants, there's something very still and, um, excuse the pun, natural about them, that, that I, I feel a sense of peacefulness or a sense of curiosity because they're beautiful and they're complex and they're colorful. And so it's really in the building block of this work and really any work is the cultivation of attention. But in this case, turning that attention to our sensory experience as a way of uh, supporting a sense of connection with the natural world. Now, I'm sure most listeners have had an experience where they were out in nature and their mind 
fell open because something so incredibly beautiful was happening, a sunrise, a sunset, rain, something like that. But I'm curious, what about those times when we go out in nature, our intention might even be to be peaceful and touch this sense of space, but instead what's happening in our mind is we're just filled with all the noise that we're always filled with when we're inside, often filled with. That's happening right when we're outside. I just hear myself thinking, thinking, talking to myself, solving problems, planning. What do I do then? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and of course, that's a very common phenomenon. We think a lot in our lives. And of course, just because we're out in nature doesn't mean the mind switches off, just like it doesn't in meditation. And so um, there are many things to do. Um, And again, I think the body like for many other meditation practices, the body is such a a key because the body's always in the present moment. The senses are always in the present moment. And so it's one of practice of, well, first intention of, you know, we might be out on a hike with the intention to enjoy the walk and the beauty. And of course, we're busy thinking about our to-do list and our work problems and whatnot. And so the, the first thing is to remind ourselves of our intention, which in this case might be, okay, I'm not here to work on my work problems. I've decided to put those aside for an hour while I take this hike. And so, and then shifting the attention, and it's really, this is where the training part of any meditation, mindfulness discipline comes, shifting the attention from first recognizing that we're thinking, recognizing that it's not what we want to be doing, and then uh, diverting the attention to, well, what's actually happening here? And so we could either use the body as a support for that. So if you're walking or biking, it would be noticing and bringing awareness to your physical movements, feeling the the earth under your feet every time you step. Um, but I think the, the predominant senses uh, when we're outside are seeing. And so it would be really taking in what you're seeing uh, and really being mindful of seeing. So letting the, letting the beauty and the complexity and the colors and the richness, letting that pull the attention away from the thinking mind into the sensory present. And the same with sounds. You know, There's often a lot of beautiful sounds, whether it's wind or birds or water trickling or waves or something. And uh, again, just practicing shifting the attention in a very um, conscious way to inhabiting our sensory experience. And of course, it's not doesn't mean the thoughts are going to go away, just like they don't go away in meditation, but we're noticing the thoughts, letting them be in the background, and shifting our attention to really taking in um, the, the natural setting, the beauty, and letting that touch us. And of course, when, whenever we get curious and interested in something, it usually brings forward more energy. We notice more, and that... that that connection is more engaging, so it becomes more of a um, pull away from the habitual thinking mind, which is one of the reasons why I do the work that I do, at my meditation work in nature, is because a lot of people find, whether it's in walking meditation or just being outside in general, that the, the stimulation of the sensory world uh, is a strong enough pull to keep the attention in the present which where normally it would be pulled into uh, thinking, story, planning, mind. Now, this is a very elementary question, Mark, but I want to 
ask you this question here at the beginning of our conversation. As mindfulness enters the culture more and more, there are more mindfulness trainers, more books on mindfulness, mindfulness in the workplace. I've actually gotten confused when people use that word, what they mean by it, meaning I don't think that everybody who teaches mindfulness and talks about mindfulness means the same thing even when they use the word. So I'm curious, when you use the word mindfulness, what do you mean by it? Well, I'm trained in the Buddhist tradition, and so my understanding comes from both that tradition and also my own personal practice. So mindfulness is simply the capacity to be aware in the present moment, to know what's happening as it's happening, to be consciously aware of what's arising in your experience. And it has particular qualities of um, accepting, non-judgment, non-interfering. So it's a capacity that allows us to be present with our experience without needing to fix, judge, analyze, improve upon it. So it's a very foundational experience. We all have the capacity to be aware. And so mindfulness has really helped develop the capacity of awareness to know ourselves, to know experience, to know another. So it facilitates our experience in a way you could say. So when I talk about mindfulness in nature, it's the capacity of being aware in the present moment with our sensory experience. It could be a, you know, we can we can turn the lens of mindfulness to anything we like, but in the context of this conversation, we're turning that lens of mindfulness to being aware of the environment and our senses and that relationship between the two. Now, I'm curious, Mark, you've spent, I'm presuming, hundreds of thousands of hours out in nature, practicing mindfulness. And I'm curious to know what are some of the most important lessons, we could even say philosophical lessons, life lessons that you've learned from being in nature? Hmm. Well, that would be a long list. So let me see if I can condense that list. Um, as you, as you say, I have spent much of my adult life outdoors, and why I do the work that I do, why I decided to start leading people on meditation retreats and courses in the wilderness is because I had been meditating for about 10 years. I moved to the States, and I was just became uh, intrigued by the wilderness because in Europe, there's not a lot of wilderness like there is in North America, and so I spent started spending a lot of time hiking, backpacking, and whatnot outside. And then I naturally started to also bring my meditation practice outside, and I'd go on solo backpack trips, and I would that would be my meditation retreat. And so I began to discover many um, points of intersection with my more intensive meditation practice, my retreat practice, and study Buddhism uh, with my time in the wild. And um, the first thing I noticed, which is really what we talked about earlier, is that for me, being outside in nature has a profound uh, calming 
effect on the mind. And I don't think it's an accident that most meditation temples and monasteries in various traditions are located in, in the forests, in the mountains, in the Himalayas, because there's something about being away from the busyness of human activity that allows the mind to calm and settle. Um, especially these days since we're so engulfed in technology, which further aggravate the mind. There's something about when we step outside, whether it's to our backyard or to a hike or to the wilderness, the the, the non-human world is not caught up in thinking, planning, judging, analyzing, selfing. And so that, because the nature of uh, interconnection, that starts to have an effect on our mind-body. And so one of the first things that I think people notice is over time, the mental activity, the planning, busy mind starts to quiet. And so when the mind starts to quiet, and becomes more calm, then, of course, we can see more clearly. And that's really one of the points of mindfulness practice and meditation practice is we develop some steadiness of attention and some calm and clarity so we can see more deeply into ourselves, into experience, into reality. And so um, so first, there's, there's, a, there's a calming clarity. Um, and then what that reveals is really the... Um, universal laws that, are, that, of course, nature abounds in. And it's really the essence of who we are. When I talk about nature, sometimes it can sound like I'm saying nature's out there. Of course, we're part of nature. We are nature. We are part of the earth. We're part of the earth's moving surface. Um, and so I think the first thing that we begin to discover is the sense of connection and interconnection, whether it's with um, the changing light, the changing temperature, we see how we're always in intimate connection with our environment. We may hear um, the morning song, which is where I'm living right now in Northern California, and the, the migrating birds have come back, and there's a delicious morning song. And so there's something about that that when I hear that, it touches something in me, and I, there's a certain stillness and, and aliveness comes. And, I, and I, So I'm particularly interested in, in helping people look at not just being aware of nature, but seeing how we're always in this interlacing, interconnecting relationship. And so I think in our lives where we can tend to be very, uh, live a certain sense of separation or isolation, even with all of our social media technology, um, what, what I find I see in people is they start to feel a sense of coming home. And there's something in the nervous system relaxes and um, a sense of feeling more connected. And it, I think it takes people a while because for the most part, we don't live in that close contact with nature so much unless you're a gardener or you live in the country or you're a farmer, which is a diminishing uh, population in that. Um, and so then we start to see other things that all wisdom teachings pointing to. For instance, the teachings of transience, of change, of impermanence. You can't look at anything in in nature 
without seeing both its emergence and its decay. I'm looking at these beautiful oak trees outside my house, and I'm seeing the dead limbs that are covered in moss that are actually all as, as, as exquisite as they decay. And I'm also seeing the fresh leaves uh, from the spring rains. And so there's this beautiful dance of ebb and flow, of arising and passing, of emergence and decay. And there's something when we really, when we're living in that, when we're living, breathing in that for a while, for a few days, we 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 start to feel into the naturalness of it. In our culture, we've so made an enemy of change, uncertainty, aging, death, as if it's some aberration. We go out into nature and we see it's full of both um, spring flowering and autumnal mm, passing away and so and that's one example of of what we see and then another example is um the the sense of self preoccupation that can drive so many of us in our lives with our with our self concern careers and just the whole way our minds are wrapped up around ourselves and our lives. And again, when we go outside and we're around, you know, a forest of oak trees or bay trees or wherever we are, pine forests, and we're around life that's not doing that, there's something about that sense of the intensity of self-preoccupation, which often leads to a lot of suffering, um, starts to relax, starts to soften. And so that we can we can taste that sense of the the possibility of life without that sense of fixation, that sense of self preoccupation. There's a certain relaxation, a certain ease happens. Um, so, so this as we spend more time, there's this just clarity comes with these deep laws of the universe that govern everything that seem that we can find some ease with rather than uh, fighting with. Another one is. Um, the way I see people um, feeling less judgmental in nature because there's a way that we can be very judgmental of ourselves or each other or of our work. Um, but again, we go outside and you'll see, you know, um, a, a bay tree that's gnarled and half dead and twisted and, and you know, sagging. And we might think, oh, what a beautiful tree. We don't judge it for its lack of uprightness or its fullness of canopy leaves or whatever we just we, there's a way that we just accept nature mostly as it is and that can translate to bring that same awareness to ourselves so those are a few i could go on and on but i, I want to stop here to see if you want to um, ask something else or ask me a little more about what i'm saying but um i've greatly appreciated what you're saying oh, one thing i wanted to tease out a little more was you talked about how, you know, of course, we are nature. And I think sometimes when we talk about nature, people think of it as something outside. That's, you know, it's when I walk outside the building, I touch nature. Oh, I'm nature too? And I'm curious, this idea that potentially we are a microcosm of the macrocosm of nature that we see around us. What your thoughts are about that? Hmm. Well, what I think about that is that we are we are reflections of each other, and so um, 
again, when I'm taking people outside, what I what I both teach and what I point people to is that sense of um, how nature really is like a mirror, and that in, in different ways. One is we you know, obviously we see through our own subjective lens, so we see we all see a different landscape. We see a different sunset. We see a different forest depending on our own experience, feeling, state of mind, history with forests or whatnot. Um, but what I, what I think the, the powerful aspect of when we bring a contemplative awareness to nature, it's as if we're looking in the mirror, that there's something about being outdoors that reflects us back to ourselves, not in a way that we're separate and isolated, that it reveals how connected we are, but at the same time also reflects back our inner experience. It's a bit like doing a solitary retreat where we're just with ourselves, even though we're surrounded maybe by bird life and trees and storms and whatnot. There's something about um, we can sense into how um, the rainstorms and the wind and the cold and we're just part of the, the 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 ecosystem, whatever ecosystem we're in. And again, I think there's something very sweet and profound about that, but there's also something very um, confronting, a bit like going on a meditation retreat in a monastery somewhere. There's something very radically confronting about, in a way, being stripped bare by the natural world. So there's no really any escape. There's just we're with ourselves in that in that environment. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive two free gifts just for visiting us. Just go to soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. That's soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. And now back to Insights at the Edge. I'm wondering if you've had any experiences in nature where you felt that you were initiated in a certain way. Like, oh, this is an initiation experience into something where nature was coming to you in a certain kind of way, potentially to show you something, maybe through an encounter with an animal or a weather pattern or or whatever occurs to you. Yeah, two things come to mind, two of many, but two I'll, I'll speak to. One is I was leading a rafting meditation retreat down the Green River in Utah, which is about a 10-day rafting trip, very beautiful, going down these canyon walls about 300 million years old, maybe five, six, eight hundred 800 feet high on either side. And it was a silent meditation course, and it was in um, the pre- um, hot season, and usually we camp on these banks uh, by the river, and it's very pristine and quiet as the desert can be. This particular year, it happened to, in this 
space of 10 days, we had Utah's annual rainfall in that time, So, which is not something we'd prepared for. You always prepare for some inclement weather, but we hadn't prepared for 10 days of solid rainstorm and cold. And I found out when I got on the trip that my waterproof gear was no longer waterproof. And at some point down the line, my tent became saturated, then my sleeping bag got wet, and as did everybody else in the group. And of course, there was no escape because we're surrounded by these 800-foot walls. And so we had to sit it out and do what we could. And, you know, there'd be times of warmth and sun, and but mostly there was a lot of cold, wet, and having to face, you know, you know real genuine fears as you do anytime you go in the wilderness of um, hypothermia um, and other medical conditions that can arise. And so I had to do a lot of work with my mind, both for my own experience, because I was soaking wet and cold, and I was also holding a group who were also challenged by the rain and the cold. And when we jump off into the sandbanks, they were clay banks of two feet of clay. And so it was just a very challenging situation. And um, what I love about being out in nature is it's always uncertain. Like you never know what you're going to get. Maybe it's you go into a beautiful forest, but there's a it's black fly season. Or you, um, you're you out up in the mountains and it's baking hot and there's no shade. And so it will ask of you to find a place of presence, balance, um, spaciousness, responsiveness um, with the conditions. Because nature is certainly not comfortable and certainly doesn't care about our comfort. And so as a as a meditator, as a as a practitioner, it's a wonderful place to work with one's mind and to see the fear stories, the catastrophe stories, the future scenarios that might get played out that you know, that the mind will like to proliferate on and to to see how important it is just to stay here and oh yes, I'm cold and yes, let's see what I can do, let's try and light a fire and cold is cold. So it's it's a great training in that way. And then another example I had um, was I was leading, a, I lead these kayaking meditation retreats in Baja in the Sea of Cortez every year. Very beautiful, again, a somewhat rugged desert environment, but we're camping out on these islands in a national park. And um, the last few years, because they stopped so much um, shrimp fishing and uh, krill fishing, the krill have come back in numbers, and so it brings in the the, the, the large whales, the blue whales, and the finbacks. And so, what I do with the group is we we go out into the bay and we do floating meditations where we just drift for a little while, and it's a very serene place to meditate and uh, just floating on the water. And this particular year, uh, I heard a whale. It was a, quite a distance away, but a really loud. Um, spout, really loud breathing, and it kept closer and closer, kept coming closer and closer, and we just kept meditating, and it was clearly, we were clearly in its flight path, and it came about 500 yards, we saw it surface and blow, and 300 yards, and it looked like it was about to surface where we were, and so people started backpedaling um, with their kayaks and feeling a little alarmed, and then it surface right in front of us, um, beautiful finback whale, probably 100 foot long, 90 tons or something of that nature. And uh, something, again, if when, you're, when there's a sense of contemplative awareness in nature, 
when we, when we've worked with our mind some to some degree, so we're really present, and we're not taking cameras and videos, we were just really soaking up the experience. Then that encounter with um, a being like that is incredibly profound. And it's one of my one of my most treasured experiences. Is I've kayaked up a lot in Alaska and in Mexico, and the the contact with whales, whether it's the blues or finbacks in the Sea of Cortez or up in Alaska, it's mostly humpbacks. Um, being around their their presence, which feel, to me feels quite profound in a in a inexplicable way, um, tunes me into both our connection but also mystery. And one of the things that I love about what happens out in the wilderness when we do these kind of trips is um, there's so much uh, wonder comes, so much sense of awe and and reverence, actually. And and out of that, uh, and it's really why the, the reason why I do what I do in nature, why I take people out versus going alone, is I do believe very strongly that we um, we care, we protect that which we love that we're, we're not really very strongly motiv- motivated to act unless there's some heart connection. And so when we go out into nature and have these profound experiences, even if they're difficult, um, it allows the heart to open in a way that we want to take care, we want to protect. And so my, my hope with doing these retreats is that people then feel more passionate about doing something for the embattled ecology of the planet. It seems that sometimes people are called to spend time in nature when they feel heartbroken in some way. And I'm curious in your work how you help people release that brokenheartedness or work with the earth as a partner in mm-hmm. a phase of brokenheartedness. What suggestions you might have? Yeah, for sure. I definitely get people who are in need of grieving and working with losses and heartbroken in different ways. And as you say, it, it's, it does seem like we are naturally pulled to go out into the outdoors for some solace. And it seems like the natural world can hold us in, in, in a... In a general way and also specific way. And and so what I invite people to do is to feel that sense of connection or support and really to to actually give over the tears, give over the grief, to feel the support of the earth and to trust that the earth can hold it. And so that might look like someone lying on the ground and doing, you know, maybe lying down meditation and feeling the tears, feeling the loss, feeling the sadness, but also feeling the support. Because one of the things that we often experience when going through grief and loss is a sense of isolation. And obviously, sometimes we get nourishment from other people, but there's a way that we can also find that from the earth. When we lie down, when we put our back up against a tree, um, and feel that actually we're not alone, that we are surrounded by living, breathing life. And there is a way that we are held in this planet with its abundance and its rain and its sunlight and its oxygen. And so 
it takes a, it takes a, a little shift in consciousness from going to crying on the arms of a loved one, which is a, obviously a healthy thing to do, or talking about one's grieving process, to actually just simply being with the loss oneself outside. And I think there's something, again, as referring back to something we said earlier about how we see the cycles in nature so evident, the cycles of the seasons, of the light, of the day, of the year, of birth and decay, that there's something in our being that recognizes that. I mean, we spent millions of years evolving outside, and so there's something in our being, I think, registers the truth or the wisdom of that. And I think it can allow some sense of settling or relaxing. Um, so I, I, was, I have a story in my book about a woman who was grieving the loss of her son, and for her, her healing was gardening and working with the compost pile and um, sensing into the, her, and she put a lot of her grief into the garden and the sense of allowing the garden to be her process of renewal as it as it does, you know, from year to year, going into dormancy, into aliveness in spring. So there are different ways, and certainly getting your hands in the earth is one way of deepening that connection. I'm curious to know more about your experience of time when you're out in nature compared to what your experience of time might be like when you're living in Northern California, near big cities, working as you do teaching mindfulness in the corporate world. Ariana Huffington, whom I interviewed recently, talked about how so many people experience something she's calling time famine. You know, there's just never enough time to do all the things that we've committed to and that we want to do. And I was in preparation for this interview, thinking about how being out in nature might address time famine, this sense, in a certain kind of way. So I'm curious what you have to say about that. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point because time is so seemingly malleable and elastic. And, you know, times in the morning we can wake up and feel, as Ariana was saying, there's such a sense of time scarcity. And then other times it can feel we have a, like a luxury of time. And I know for myself, both in meditation and also being out in nature, as soon as I step out into nature and I go for a walk up in the hills by my house, I feel like I drop out of linear time. I drop out of clock time. And unless I have some meeting deadline that I'm having to get back to that day or in, that, in the next hour, there's a sense of um, you know, dropping out of this very regimented linear time that we feel, I think, so often imprisoned by. And there's a sense of spaciousness opens up, partly, again, because we're not around things that are operating on our clock time. They're operating on their own natural cycle of light and darkness and seasons and whatnot. But there's a sense of that the the structure of uh, time that, which we've carved up reality into these very small blocks seems to evaporate and there's so there's something again in our in our bodies that I notice I, I just feel I feel more relaxed and even if I only have an hour to do a walk there's something in me that just uh, takes off that prison of the clock 
and um, and I think partly what it is is because nature, in a way, allures our attention. I was going to say forces, but it really allures us into the present. And when we're in the present, then time also changes its dynamic. When we're, when we're in a state of presence, which is mindful, present, aware, then that again, that the, the conceptual trap of time softens, drops away, dissolves, and it's just you know we could be looking at the bark of a tree right now. Again, I'm looking at the bark of this oak tree, and if I allow myself to drop into that for a moment, there is a sense of timelessness. And again, wisdom traditions have been pointed for millennia about the relationship between time and timelessness and, re- and reality. Um, there is there is really no time. There is just this moment. There is now. There is here. And so that there's something about nature calls to our attention, our senses, our awareness, the the the, the profundity of this moment or nowness. And it's as if we can relax into that for some moments, some minutes, sometimes some hours. You know, usually at some point there'll be some you know, need for us to come back, the sun's going down, we're aware of having to pick the kids up from school or something like that. But there are times when we can fully let go of the the concept of time, be in our senses, be in the natural world. And it also doesn't have to be in the natural world. It could be anywhere, but nature seems to pull it forth more easily. And then a whole world opens up, more relaxation, more ease, more joy, stress can peel off. Now, you talked about the idea of, you know, even if I only have an hour to go outside and take a walk. And when you said that, I thought to myself, okay, let's say someone's listening and they're like, look, an hour, I don't have an hour. I have, I have seconds, I have minutes in my life where I can shift into hopefully a sense of time expansiveness. I wonder what Mark can offer me on the spot. What can I do when I only have seconds or minutes that might help me make that shift? Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, well, I would say wherever you are, and maybe it's maybe going outside isn't an option, but hopefully at least a window is, unless you're in a windowless cubicle, and then, then that's a whole other story. But let's say that at least there's a window possible, or at least a door to step outside into a deck or a garden or the street. Um, Again, I think it's not so much the amount of time and it's not so much the place, but it's really the quality of attention. And this is really where you know, meditation traditions and mindfulness practice has come bring so much to bear in that when we can switch our attention from, say, our screens and our to-do lists and the perennial pressing thoughts and shift very intently to the present moment and say it's a you look it's to look at a plant in your office or it's to look at the sky outside in your office window to it's the quality of attention that we bring to that that allows that sense of space or ease or connection and so this is where the training of um using that attention to our senses actually can, in really a matter of moments, transform 
our experience. So right now I'd say to the people who are listening, let's take 10 seconds to just listen to the sounds that are happening in your environment and see what that does to the quality of your attention. So we're going to do that now for a few seconds. So that was 10 seconds listening. So even in that short space of time, when we consciously shift the attention, you could do it to, to seeing, to looking out the window, could be stepping outside, breathing fresh air, could be um, walking if you have a few minutes. Um, anything to turn the attention to the physical senses with, with this quality of attention. Um, that in itself can actually shift our state of mind, just as you know, many practices I teach and other people are teaching now in uh, work settings where you just take you know, three conscious breaths or the acronym of STOP. You stop, you take a breath, you observe what's happening, and you proceed. It can take 10 seconds. And in that moment, those moments, you can actually shift your consciousness. And I'm adding this extra piece, which is when you include something from the natural world, which could be as little, little as a plant on your desk, that, that that can actually support that sense of presence or connection. How do you think our culture might change if people spent more time immersed in nature? If people spent more time unplugging, taking long walks, going on river rafts, that kind of thing... How do you think some of the priorities and the way that our current culture is functioning might shift? Well, I think at minimum people would be happier. You know, I think we live in a culture right now where the imperative to work and to do is so strong and the people are so maxed out. So many people are maxed out with their workloads and there isn't a sense of space or unplugging and so um, there's a sense of um, drivenness, and and I think that the net result of all that is exhaustion and unhappiness, and sleep issues, and all kinds of challenges. And so I think if we were to give ourselves permission and encouragement to take even a half an hour a day to walk outside, to find somewhere that was um, aesthetic, like a park or a garden, or you know, if, you're, if you're lucky, a, more, you know, a slightly more wilder environment, a, a woodland or by a, a stream or the ocean. Um, I think it does many things. I think it, it gives us a sense of perspective, and I think that simple act of one the power of intention to say this is a priority, to have space, to be out in nature, to let go of the doing and the, the busyness, that, that itself is, is, has a strong statement, says a strong statement to what's important. And then I think it allows the brain to decompress. You know, in so much of the research that's being done now, partly is looking at how our work habits of these long hours of sustained attention, sustained screen time does not actually support optimal functioning. 
Um, so it allows the brain to breathe. It allows our body to feel more refreshed. Maybe we, we're walking and we're getting a little exercise and cardio at the same time. So it's giving some relief to our bodies that are mostly sedentary at the desk these days. Um, and then it, 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 but I think the important thing is it, it opens up us up to a wider world, to a bigger perspective. So something as simple as stepping outside the door gives you a sense of perspective. You know, seeing the sky, maybe it's the night sky, or noticing the seasons. You know, sometimes we get so wrapped up in our life that we forget that it's spring or winter or summer. And so we, it's like we imagine or sense a, a world outside of ourselves, and it's so easy for us to get so caught up in the nitty-gritty day-to-day and the importance of it that we get so stressed and lose the big picture. And so one of the things that nature is, can provide is this sense of perspective. And that, I think, by itself brings a sense of well-being, So many different ways to feel the support by, as I said, taking, it could just be a few minutes, 30 minutes, great, and now fantastic. You know, and I think it's also good to unplug every now and then for half a day or a day, you know, whether it's alone or with the family, and to go out and to really immerse yourself in a park or by the ocean or a lake. Now, Mark, one of the things that I loved reading in your book, Awake in the Wild, was the section where you talked about working with the elements, earth, air, fire, and water, in nature and in ourselves as a way to deeply inquire into what someone could consider the deep end of mindfulness, to inquire what is the self, how we can work with the elements to inquire into the nature of the self. And I'm wondering if you could talk on that topic. Yes, so the elements meditation and contemplation is a really wonderful practice because, again, it bringing in this idea that nature and ourselves, ourselves and the earth are not separate, that we are made up of the similar elements that run through everything. And there's a way that as human beings we have this slightly odd way of moving about the world as if we are untouched. So we move through a landscape and um, we think that we're somehow separate from it, whether it's the rain or the food. And so one of the things that I love doing when I'm teaching my courses, um, especially up in the mountains, and we're camped out by a mountain stream, and we may be drinking from that stream for the better part of a week. And I remind myself in the group that we are mostly water. And if we've been drinking water from that same stream for a week, we're mostly the mountain stream. And conceptually, that's very hard for us to figure because we think, here's me, there's the stream. I drink it and pee it out, and it's still me. And yet, if we really analyze what's happening, we are mostly the mountain stream at that point. And it's the same with the food that we eat. We, don't, we look at our garden and our, and our vegetables, and we think, that's the vegetables, and here's me. And we don't realize that's becoming part of who we are. 
And the same with the air. You know, we look at, well, you don't see the air, but there's a sense of the air out there, and I'm here, and I breathe, but it doesn't really touch me. And so what the element reflection does is it just allows us to see whatever we see outside the earth, the, the solidity, the density of the mountains and the rock and the sand and the trees, and no different than the bones and nails and teeth and hair of our own body, that they're made up of the same elements and the same with the water that runs through the ocean with skin-encased ocean. You know, our blood is the same salinity as the ocean. And the fire, this fire element of the sun, you know, that warms our bodies, that creates photosynthesizing life, that allows us to feel the nourishment and energy from plants. It's, it's a constant flow. We're part of the hydrological cycle, the air cycle, and so when we actually are out in nature and we're reflecting in that way and we see, oh, this is actually, I'm not so separate from this. Even though I might, my senses give the impression it's out there, actually if I use a little reflection, I can see that it's really just we're part of the cycle. As we all, you know, as we're born, as we go back into the earth. Um, and so... Doing that reflection, again, it's it's another way for people to feel more connected. And I think it's really important as a counterpoint to the way that we can often feel so uh, separate. And so, and this idea of understanding ourselves, you know, the self, the ego self, takes itself to be this separate, independent, self-existing thing. And when we're, especially when we're outside, we see that that's really impossible, that we are intimately connected and, and affected at every moment. Our existence, we coexist in this web of life. And so this is one, there's many ways to explore and understand the sense of self and this, the construct that the mind creates about who we are and our independence. And yet nature is clearly revealing, telling us, oh, look, you're actually intimately affected, not independent. And the temperature changes a few degrees high or low, and we feel it, and we notice, and we changing clothes and uh, having quite a reaction. And so there's something, I think, when we, when we get that, that's actually quite relaxing um, to see how we're just part of the fabric of life. And there's a lot of pain that comes when we take ourselves to be separate and independent from it. Now, Mark, we're going to have to end our conversation soon because I want to get out of this windowless studio <laughs> and get outside. Uh, I do want to mention that you'll be coming to Sounds True's annual Wake Up Festival. In 2014, the festival takes place August 20th through the 24th. And you'll be leading several workshops on mindfulness and nature. Before I let you go, I just want to ask you one final question, which is this interview program is called Insights at the Edge. And I'm always curious to know what someone's inner leading edge is, where their growth edge is inside in their own unfolding and evolution, where they feel challenged at the moment, if you will. And I'm curious, what's your edge, Mark? I think, for me, the place that I'm investigating most 
is my relationship to how I am in my life vis-a-vis or through the doorway of kindness and compassion. So where in my life do I shut down? Where in my life am I not acting with integrity, with my heart? Where could I stretch myself in terms of opening to people's distress and suffering? Um, So for me, one of my sort of life uh, intentions is really how to be a kind, compassionate human being in the midst of a busy daily life. And so life, relationships, friendships, colleagues, always providing that reflection. Where, how am I showing up? Where am I closed? Where am I shut down or judging? Where could I lead more with kindness? Where do I get afraid or resistant? And how can I use my life in a way that's more that more serving or more expressive of compassionate action? So I'm often asking myself, you know, because I'm asked to do many things. I'm invited to lead workshops or conferences or give talks and um and so I'm asking myself what's the most compassionate use of my time but what in but more than that how can that time be most compassionately expressed I'm not sure if that's that clear but so it's really the the, the edge for me is around the heart and how can I grow into a, a kinder, more loving human being is a simpler way of putting it. And that's easier said than done, I've come to discover over these many years. Beautiful. Thank you. I've been speaking with Mark Coleman. He's the author of the book, Awake in the Wild, Mindfulness in Nature as a Path of Self-Discovery. And Mark will be a featured presenter at Sounds True's 2014 Wake Up Festival. And if you'd like to know more about the Wake Up Festival, you can go to www.wakeupfestival.com. Thanks for listening. Mark, thank you. Thanks for the honest and helpful conversation. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Soundstreet.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.